This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. So we're going to do the wrap-up of that virtual roundtable that was live on Safety FM, and you could have seen it on safetyfm.tv. And in the first part, if you haven't heard it, go back to that so you could hear the introduction for what to expect. Uh, then I gave my considerations for opening or reopening America's businesses and workplaces right now, what kind of thoughts you should have as the safety professional. And then Abby Ferry went even further and even talked to us about scope creep and uh, and there's just so many different variables that you really need to to think about as we're embarking on this really big challenge to keep yourself, keep the workforce and your customers safe during this uncertain time, during this time where we have incomplete information. So therefore, we've got to do our best to bridge those gaps of incomplete information. So Jake and Kevin Yarbrough are going to talk to you next. Uh, Jake Wolfenden for Summit Safety Group, Kevin Yarbrough, Strailbrough Safety and Yarbrough Safety Solutions, uh, Exosha, and they're going to just give you their idea on some of the considerations you should be thinking about as terms of reopening America. And I'll come back with just a closing thought, but there won't be any tip of the week this week. Just a closing thought, and our next episode will be on Monday in our regular scheduled slot. So uh, stay tuned for a word from the sponsor, and then we'll go straight into part two of the virtual roundtable. Do you want to be a safety consultant? Listen to Dr. J. Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in it. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people on to focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. Excellent. Thank you. That was a great scope creep. That's one of the things that I is getting everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're going to turn it over to the man, the myth, the legend, Jake Wolfenden, Summit Safety Group, the guru. Yeah, that's right, man. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm Jake Wolfenden, the owner of Summit Safety Group, and we work with uh, hundreds of clients throughout the Midwest primarily. Um, they We partner with them to outsource a portion of their uh, safety and OSHA compliance and things like that. And, and I'll tell you, 
uh, Abby, I think you hit it really, really well with the fact that just just really kind of bringing that that term mindset back to it, because I really think that's what we're going to be battling over the next several months. Um, you know, for us in our area, we reopened pretty much the very beginning of May. And so to see what restaurants, what fitness centers, what all these places are doing or not doing is actually really startling to me. And so one of the things that we're really trying to push with our clients is, look, until there's a vaccine, we have got to take this seriously. Um, I know that everybody wants to rush back to the old normal, but unfortunately, I really just don't think that that old normal is gonna exist until there's a vaccine. And the reality is, is that for those of us that are in positions of authority, people that respect us for our opinions on safety and health, we too have to take this seriously. So I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Mark Cuban did a secret shopper thing and, and sent out um, to, to a bunch of different restaurants and businesses all throughout the community. And I think 90 plus percent were not doing any of the measures that the local health department, CDC was actually recommending. And, and, and the thing is, is I think, Abby, you kind of alluded to this, but it is very much a it's an American pride thing that we we can we can bootstrap this thing. We can get back to normal. But again, we're not dealing with it, it's it's right now. I feel like it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. We're dealing with philosophies. Even when I talk to my doctor friends, you know, they're, they, they're like, why am I getting so triggered that nobody listens to me? You know, I've got, you know, one of my best friends is a neurosurgeon. Uh, one of the other guys, you maybe saw the, the video that I did several months ago when this thing first started hitting on the coronavirus, Dr. Trotman. He is like the guy for our state uh, for all the epidemiology and infectious disease control. And I've really been in contact with uh, University of uh, Washington and Seattle and people in New York. And, and they're just baffled when they have other doctors that are other professionals that bring in things that they see on Facebook. And they're like, guys, this isn't, this is not, this is all debunked. It's not real. Where's your peer reviewed, you know, like where, where's the process, follow the process. You guys know to do this, but because it's so out of sight, out of mind, people don't see it as a medical fact. They see it as a philosophy. I mean, how many of you guys know people that are directly impacted by this? Unless you're living in some of those hotbed areas, we may know somebody that's once or twice or third removed that maybe had it or something. And so it's very, it, it, it doesn't, it's not at our doorstep. And so it doesn't feel real. And so as we start this re-entry back into uh, just normal business, it can't be the same normal. The reason for that is because Look, we, we work with camps. We work with, uh, we've got summer camps that are reopening. We've got all these other, I think these big establishments that you kind of wouldn't expect to reopen, but the governors of certain states have given the, the, the stamp of approval to move forward. But again, until there's a vaccine, you start to see cases start to spring up again. They're going to have to shut down. And so my, my fear is that when we're rushing too quickly into this, not being on the conservative side, regardless of what your philosophy is, I, I get it. There, there's a lot of different stuff out there. We can we can compare it to the flu. We can compare it. We can say that there's not actually, actually as many deaths as we think there are. But the reality is that there are people dying. It's still a no novel virus. We don't know everything about it yet. And we don't have a vaccine. So there are there's always going to be a subset group that we are going to be trying to protect and that we should be trying to protect. So as businesses start rolling back in, the last thing you want to do is create this scenario where you didn't take the precautions. Now one of your employees gets sick. And I can tell you, we've seen this with our clients. 
where they were not taking the precautions. They had a couple people get sick. Now they they weren't being conservative. They weren't limiting the the exposures to other employees, and they shut down operations for two weeks. Sent everybody home. I mean, so what does that do from a productivity standpoint? You know, we just last week we got a call from a client that's a uh, contractor up in Kansas City. They called and said, "Hey, we just had one of our subcontractors test positive. What do we do?" Luckily, they were taking a lot of the precautions, and luckily, it was a subcontractor that didn't have a lot of exposure. But what I keep telling everybody is, you got to treat this like an accident investigation. If you go back and you start to see that there's so many exposures that you really can't even control, that makes your job so much more difficult. So one of the things I want to stress to other safety professionals and HR managers is, please take this seriously. Lead from the front. Make sure that your attitude and mindset is one of protection. It's one of promoting health and safety for everybody, not just the people that, yeah, if you get it, maybe you won't get sick. But think about the people they're going back to, and it, I mean, it's just it's a community thing, and it's very difficult for us, especially as Americans, to think about somebody outside of ourselves. You know, it's like the whole wearing masks things as source control, rather than you know thinking that that yeah, you know, there's we could get into all that, but but basically. I really just want to encourage everybody to to really try to be as conservative as possible on this part of it, because the amount of work that you'll have to do on the back end when somebody at your facility or at your construction site does test positive is truly a nightmare. And when we're helping clients through that, trying to see who was exposed to who, who was exposed, you want to talk about a massive production shift send a ton of people home and then try to find people that can fill in those spots or hey this crew has been exposed they've tested negative but they can only work with that crew now like these two or three people are the only people that can work together on a project and they can't be exposed to anybody else you know those are very real uh issues and so again the more that that you can um ensure that you're doing the things like like uh, checking temperatures, maintaining social distance. When you do have to work around very close in close proximity, like if you're working in an aerial lift with somebody or something like that, wearing a mask, making sure that you're you are truly protecting uh, your your coworker from potentially you being infected and, and spreading it to them. So it, it is definitely a mindset shift and it's not easy at all. And, and lastly, um, I, I want to kind of just talk about the um, what we see as we go in. We're seeing so many more people being exposed to chemicals in a way that they've never been exposed to before. Tons of office staff. You've got we you know we work with uh, we work with a lot of different companies, and so we work with banks and we work with people that really have very low exposures when it comes to OSHA. Typically, don't have a lot of general industry or construction exposure, but now they have a lot of exposure and they don't understand what it's like mixing chemicals when you've got the rubbing alcohol or the hand sanitizer that's right next to the bleach, not understanding that that mix right there will make chloroform, you know, or you've got, you know, you've got um, uh, ammonia with uh, um Oh gosh, what is it? Ammonia and bleach. And then, I mean, so there's, there's also, you got people that are applying all different sorts of stuff. You got people that are bringing stuff from the office, uh, from home to their desk, to their cubicles. And that is extremely dangerous because as they're applying, you've got other people that are applying a different thing. They've got companies that are coming in to do the deep clean that Abby was just talking about. And so now you've got maybe a, a sodium compound that's being mixed with an ammonia. And now you've got some corrosive elements and now you've got really expensive stuff in the 
office that's getting corroded because they don't realize the mix that they're actually creating. Um, we're not seeing anybody really understand how to disinfect. We're not, they're not understanding that it needs to stay on the surface for a certain amount of time. And the only way that it's truly a disinfectant is that it stays wet. Um, so just, just a lot of that stuff that, you know, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of stuff that we're trying to do some videos that I'm going to be putting out here in the next uh, couple of days, actually, that's going to help try to bring some awareness to those things and, uh, bring some training. So I don't even know how much time I have left. I didn't, I didn't see Jay write anything on there, but, uh, but you know, those, those are the biggest concerns, uh, taking people through very specific training with, uh, with office related stuff, making sure that you as a safety professional are monitoring the stuff that's being brought from home. Um, and that you're following the HASCOM regulation, that you guys are making sure that you're getting all of those chemicals accounted for and that you're actually training them on that and that they actually have an SDS sheet to show and that they have personal protective equipment, they're wearing gloves, all that kind of stuff. So that would be that would be the main thing. So kind of wrapping up, lead from the front, be as conservative as possible. Don't bow to the, the the just kind of people just wanting to just everybody's so ready to get back. I'm ready to get back. I'm tired of quarantine. I get it. But you have to realize that if we don't want this to be a major resurgence where if businesses shut down again, it's not going to be for a month or six weeks. It's going to be for potentially months and maybe not certain essential businesses. But I guarantee things like restaurants, bars, uh, nightclubs, museums, fitness centers, gyms, stuff like that, yoga studios. It's going to be very difficult for those to reopen. And now we're talking about even more people out of work. So it's got to be a community effort. It's got to be us leading from the front, not bowing to that type of attitude that just says, eh, screw it, whatever. Just just be whatever, do whatever you want to do. Um, it's the same battle that we deal with pro, uh, production. You know, it's, it's not a different mindset. It's just a different element to that mindset. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of great thoughts in that one so we're going to leave some time here for mr yarbrough kevin yarbrough is ex osha 30 years almost right and uh, also my business partner in shellbrough safety he made that up too is sheldon and yarbrough together created shellbrough safety so uh <laughs> yarbrough take over tell us uh, your, your thoughts on this one well thank you sheldon for inviting me here and i gotta say between yourself, Abby, and Jake, I think it's all been said. Jake is, man, you are one passionate guy. I like to have you on the stage with me when I do my presentations on safety. Yeah, all that energy, I like to bottle it up and take it home with me. But you guys did cover a lot of tremendous uh, information, a lot of food for thought. If this was the objective of the meeting was to create food for thought, things to think about, uh, uh, Abby and Jake, you brought up some areas that I hadn't even, frankly, hadn't even thought about. That's the, that's the benefit of giving, getting people from different aspects of safety and different fields of, of the, the work that we do. My, my part is going to be pretty easy. After um, you guys, I get the easy stuff. I get to talk about what I did for almost, 30, excuse me, 30 years. And as relates to COVID, I had to, um, I had to talk to, well, I had the pleasure of talking to some people with the agency. And I was wondering, uh, tell me about what we're doing because this, this has never happened before. I know we had, when I was with the agency, we had a program called the COOP, Continuum of Operations uh, Program. And it covered aspects of what do you do when your primary facility is, 
is no longer available or, or where pandemics come around and you have to switch what you're doing. But this is on an unprecedented scale. So the question we I had for uh, my ex-compatriots or my partners in Ocean was, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And how are you enforcing the rule? What is the rule? And I got to tell you, uh, this thing was a moving target for OSHA for a long time. But they finally came out with a directive on how to deal with this COVID situation. One of the things that a lot of, uh, Abby, you like to hear this, uh, for con construction workers, you're not going to see very many co-shows out there because that's not their primary focus any longer. Uh, there, the offices in Tampa and, and around the country of OSHA, federal OSHA, have shut down. No one's in the office. They're, everyone's working from home to ensure that they're safe to distancing and that thing. And their primary focus right now are uh, targeted industries like healthcare, uh, long-term long health facilities, nursing homes, hospitals, and that type of thing. So construction sites have fallen way down the list. Now that's not to say if they see an imminent danger while they're responding to one of these um, targeted, not targeted, but high hazard industries that relate to COVID, they'll stop. But uh, their primary focus is this COVID thing. So what is it? Well, let me just put it this way. They're, they continue to do what they've always done. Ex the exception is that they're not focusing on the industries they've always focused on. Uh, Jake talked about general industry and, and Abby talked about construction. Well, they're not going into general industry sites because as COVID, uh, related to COVID, uh, there are other sites that take precedence. Now, if you have a, a massive breakout like the, uh, some of the plants we heard about, all these workers getting sick, now we're gonna have to get involved with that. And to be honest, the way OSHA deals with that is, is very easy. When you have multiple people uh, exhibiting signs of exposure, it's very easy to say, okay, this is work-related. But if you have a facility where maybe one person or maybe two people are, are coming down with the virus, now OSHA has to prove, okay, is this, is this work-related? And how do we prove that? If it's one person, how do you prove that they just didn't get it uh, uh, get exposed to it in the general public and the symptoms only appear on the work site. So that's a very difficult thing. Now, Abby, you did mention 11C and you mentioned that, uh, Sheldon, you're going to have another uh, lawyer talk about that, but that is a very hot topic. And the 11C investigators are getting a lot of work because employed, employees are getting smart and saying, you know what, I don't feel safe coming to work with all those other people. And, and I, I feel that it's uh, threatening my life. And therefore, until you do something as, such as provide alternative uh, means for me to do my job using engineering controls or administrative controls, I'm not coming to work. And then they get fired. Well, that's a classic 11C case. So the 11C investigators are very busy. So. How is OSHA operating? I told you they're, they're working from home and what they're primarily focusing on are imminent dangers. Imminent dangers are important because that's a situation where nothing's happened yet and we have an opportunity to save a soul if we can. So we'll go do that. And not, primarily that only happens on 
uh, don't 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 get mad, Abby, but on construction sites, because even Ray Charles can drive by a construction site and see a fall hazard <laughs> or a trench excavation hazard or electrical hazard or motor vehicle hazard. So those are easy to do. They're also looking at um, employee complaints of taking the high priority. And in most offices, employee complaints drive the work. That's what you do when you're kind of caught up in everything else, you're going to be driven by employee complaints. And with this COVID situation, you can imagine the complaints are pouring in. And that had OSHA really kind of running around in circles. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Because as, as Sheldon knows, and I always preach it in my classes, OSHA has the, the responsibility of proving their cases. If they're going to issue a citation, they have the burden of proving that A plus B plus C equals D. And with this COVID, how do you show that? How do you show that? And the employee uh, contracted COVID in the workplace. You know, what's the incubation period? They could have caught it at the, the mall and the symptoms just arose in the workplace, but the employee wants to uh, uh, file a complaint against the employer. Now, OSHA has to do the job that medical people should be doing, such as you know, taking temperatures and doing the testing, which we're not very, very good at right now. So they're kind of like between a rock and a hard place. If they don't respond, then uh, employees are going to send letters to their congressmen and say, hey, OSHA, what are you doing? If they do respond, they're going to have a lot of people, a lot of resources tied up in this COVID. when at the same time, there are still other important activities going on. And that's one aspect of it. They have, uh, they have to definitely do fatalities. Now, uh, what are we going to do if a person succumbs to COVID and they claim it's, it was a result of being exposed at the work site? But now we're back to that circle. We're not medical doctors. Our compliance officers are not medical doctors. But they're going to have the burden of investigating that to determine where, where the exposure was, if it was at the work site, is it reasonable to expect this at the work site? Uh, some of the work sites you may go to, like hospitals, a long care, long-term care facilities, nursing homes. If a person complains about COVID coming from that, those industries, well, OSHA is going to say, "Hey, wait, now, these are high hazard industries where it is a it's a likely probability that they could they can contract the virus in this environment." So they're going to look at that a lot, lot harder, and they're going to take that a lot more seriously because it's a little easier to connect A plus B in those facilities. Then you have, uh, as I said before, high-risk industries, as I just covered, long-term care facilities, hospitals, laboratories, where they go in. If it's COVID uh, situation, we're gonna they're gonna lean to the side. Well, yeah, this is probably a result of being exposed to COVID. Now, where the exposure occurred, that's a whole other ball game, and that's going to be another investigation. Okay, uh, so that's that's what they're doing now. Like I said, how they're doing it, they're not randomly going out. They're only going out when they're called for complaints. And as I said earlier, complaints will drive an, an office. And when I was the assistant director, we would get anywhere between 3,200 and 4,000 complaints a year. Now, uh, with probably 26 compliance officers, uh, you're just not it's going to be very difficult to respond to all those complaints. So in the COVID situation, they decided that, you know what, based on our resources, 
we can't go out and look at every single complaint that comes out. So what they're going to do is they're going to put it back on the employer. They're going to do what's called the phone and fax. An employee calls up and says, I was exposed to COVID and I don't feel safe. They, depending on the facility, they may just send a letter and say, hey, Mr. Employer, we've received a report that uh, employees uh, being exposed to X, Y, Z. Please investigate it. And within five days, tell us if you found that this was valid or invalid. If it's valid, tell us what you're going to do about it. If it's invalid, tell us how you came to the determination that it was invalid. And based on that response, that's when the area director or OSHA will decide, is this a case that's worthy of expending a compliance officer to investigate? So that's how they're kind of uh, conserving their resources for the really, really difficult situation. COSHOs down, COSHO means Compliance Safety Health Officer. I've called them COSHOs for years. There's no reason for them to stop now. Uh, Their primary concern, other than the safety of Americans working men and women, is their own personal safety. So they've been trained on the COVID uh, uh, articles that have been written, OSHA's uh, information has been written. They've, they've been assigned to read a lot of the CDC, most of the CDC guidelines, and they're expected to follow those guidelines when they go into a facility. And if they can't, quite frankly, they're not going to go into a facility until something can be done. They may have to rely on PPE where they're going to uh, get the appropriate PPE to do what they have to do. Or if it's like in the hospital, they may say, okay, I'm not going into that room where an uh, 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 employer says they contracted COVID. Do you have similar rooms in the hospital that I can go into and make a diagram and look at it and tell me the operation and then we can determine from that clean room what went on in that dirt. Uh, the other thing is that they, they generally don't like to go into areas where there's patients like long-term health facilities because you know we don't maintain the dignity and the privacy of those patients. So again, they may go into adjacent room or they may wait until the patient has gone to dinner or left the room and then they'll go in and do their e- evaluation. The, uh, the next thing is uh, besides their protection and the people around them, uh, they're going to really be looking for engineering controls. This is a respiratory uh, uh, situation. So right away, they're going to look at respiratory protection standard in OSHA. They're going to look at uh, ventilation. What's your ventilation like? Uh, if you don't have it, what are you doing to get it? Is it feasible to get it in here? And FYI, OSHA says everything is feasible. <laughs> so they're going to be looking at that. And they may even take issue with the fact that if you have a facility that that can benefit from having either positive pressure or negative pressure ventilation, they're going to uh, probably insist or even maybe cite you based on the fact that you know you have a facility, as Sheldon said, that has this hazard. What have you done to correct the hazard? And the answer 99.9% of the time, we gave them PPE. We gave them PPE. Well, that's just not going to fly. And along those lines, uh, as Jake was saying, really OSHA, well, let me just put it this way. Safety hasn't changed because of COVID-19. It hasn't changed. 
What has changed is the risk associated with doing nothing about this. We've had the flu, we've had situations in various facilities where you had to wash your hands, wear the proper PPE, have proper ventilation. But this COVID-19 has shined a bright light on the inequities or the failures of industries to do the right thing in terms of engineering controls. Very few people want to spend the money on engineering controls. And I understand it's not cheap to do engineering controls. It's cheaper to throw, throw a respirator over them. And by the way, not even teach them how to use it. Just throw it on their face. It'll some magically adhere to their face and they'll be fine. But no, they're, they're looking very, very seriously at that section, respiratory protection, ventilation, engineering controls. And they've been directed to uh, document the uh, failures of not using engineering control where there was a need for it and the employer just, for whatever reason, just decided I'm not gonna do that. Also, they're using the section of the OSHA standard, section 5A1, because as, as we talked about, this is such a new situation. The OSHA standards didn't anticipate this. It has some standards like the respiratory protection standards that we can use, but there's other situations where there's a hazard, but there is no written standard to address it. That's why the 5A1 section was developed to identify a hazard to, well, to address a hazard that the OSHA standards have not yet uh, written a standard for. And to wrap up, the uh, final thing I want to say to you is that um, uh, OSHA has very high expectations for people in those targeted industries to protect their employees. Just throwing a, on a respirator is no longer going to be adequate. And uh, the uh, next thing to that is the training, as I kind of alluded to. Training is going to be very important. The documentation of that training is going to be very important. And is it effective? You can have all the documentation of the world. And if interviews show that the, the documentation or the training was ineffective, well, you may find yourself in a little hot water for that, too. And that's simply because, again, the risk is very high now. This is an unforgiving disease and even fatal in some cases. So uh, that's that's about where OSHA is on all this. Their directive is printed on the OSHA.gov page and it's probably in the middle of the page and highlighted and bolded and underlined if you want to look at it. All right, I hope that answers some of your questions and uh, I'll give it back to you, Sheldon. Excellent. Well, thank you. Well, we got some questions coming in. So one question was how much emphasis is going to be placed on employee temperature screening using infrared? Uh, for usually if it's um, if it's a, an actual tool, what it breaks down to is how reliable is that tool? So uh, do they have validation testing or if it's just a regular thermometer, that's fine too. But uh, what I've seen with infrared, and this is my my answer, the rest of you are going to have a chance to answer as well. But what I've seen is um, they've had stations that will go up and they'll do an actual station with the infrared uh, camera that's go you're walking through. 
So what that is, is actually the first stage. And then from there, if someone uh, has a temperature, they're going to be separated uh, from the group and then they'll get another temperature taken for verification's sake. And at that point, the employer will have to have them uh, decide and in the U.S. it's going to be different. This is something that uh, South Korea has been doing and uh, a few other countries have been doing. Uh, so for U.S. it's going to be different. Now if a person's tested twice as having a high temperature, at that point they can't, they shouldn't be allowed into the facility, though they've already had two to ten days and in some cases 14 days where they were asymptomatic. So that's when the contact tracing and everything happens like Jake mentioned earlier. So you really would have to go through that that process. So that was one of the questions before we get to the second question. Anyone else want to add to that? I'll just say, uh, Sheldon, you're absolutely right. Uh, just, you know, the temperature testing is fine. But what we have to understand is that, like you said, is it is the tool doing what it was designed to do? Is it working? If it's working, is it giving you the information you expect to be given? Once you get the information, the person receiving the information, do they know what to do with the information? And thirdly, if they know what to do with the information, what is the response? How do they deal with this situation? Simply taking a temperature, someone comes in with 110 degrees, you go, yeah, you're burning up. Okay, go to work. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I took their temperature and he passes out on the, on the assembly floor. You've got to react appropriately when you get the information. It basically comes down, are you getting the information? Are you evaluating the information? And what are you doing once you've made your determination? All right. Anyone else? Yeah, well, I was going to piggyback on that real quick and just say that, you know, that's actually the case where you're going to have OSHA get involved and you're going to have a willful type violation uh, that's directly associated to the employer. If you're not taking that seriously, if you were to screen them, they, they've got a temperature at all. You allow them to continue in the facility, whether they've got the coronavirus or not. If there's some sort of if it comes to be that at some point COVID does test positive at their facility, that I guarantee you is going to be brought back. And that is the type of very easy connection that OSHA is going to be able to make. And that's going to be right on the employer for, in my opinion, a willful violation because you knowingly were using tools. You had things that you were there to employ to try to keep this from spreading in your facility. And then you had the knowledge that somebody was uh, had a symptom that is along those lines. And uh, that's a very easy connection. So that kind of stuff you can't even mess with. Yeah. And then it becomes easier if there's uh, multiple people with symptoms at that workplace because it becomes harder if it's only a one-off like Kevin did mention. Uh, but when there become multiple people and there's people being tested and have uh, positive temperatures with nothing, you know, yeah, you're right. Abby. Well, the only thing I would have to add to that is that I've already heard of companies um, doing the temperature screening and having a written policy about it and not following it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the the plan, do, check, act that I mentioned earlier. If you're going to plan your actual, you know, pandemic response, and then the next thing you got to do is go ahead, let's put in this thing in motion. Then if it's not working, that's the check part. Then we got to go ahead and, you know, redo this thing, rethink this thing. And then the last thing is, you know, let's let's go ahead and 
plan it again and, and release it again and do whatever changes we need. So we had one other question, which might be more of an HR question than one for us, but it says, uh, does the panel have any advice to people who have lost their job due to COVID-19 related shutdowns or slowdowns? I had an episode about this in my podcast. First and foremost, get on unemployment. That's my opinion. You want to get money. Money is king right now. <laughs> get your money. Get your paper. Do that first. And then from there, uh, the next thing is, you know, you're going to get laid off whenever for other reasons, too, in most cases. So, you know, get back out there. Don't don't beat yourself up. Start start applying for something else. That's just my, my two cents. Anyone, we've, we've got uh, about four minutes left before we get to the top of the hour. I've actually seen some people on LinkedIn where they put on their headline that um, um, they lost their job due to COVID-19. So um, maybe just like normalizing it and talking about it and somehow um, maybe capturing it on your job history or uh, there's a lot of recruiter types out there and another plug for another person who's been on Safety Justice League podcast is a woman named Tara Carbert and she has an initiative she's called the Career Mindset Coach and she does some coaching daily um, through social media for free. Um, so there's a lot of people out there out of just, you know, marketing and, and kindness are trying to help people out that have found themselves in a tough position right now. All right. Uh, anyone else? I don't have anything on that. I do want to just come back real quickly to the uh, the temperature thing. I think what happens a lot of the, a lot of times in those situations is, you know, we're constantly being fed the negatives. What doesn't work? What what do we found that? Oh well, people have uh, COVID nineteen that never even get fevers. So why take temperatures? Or by the time they get a fever, they've already been you know they've been asymptomatic, but they've been contagious for the last two weeks. So why are we taking temperatures? People have to understand that that's just one tool in the toolbox. And it is an indicator in a lot of situations as to somebody being sick. And to the to the point that, um, that Kevin was making earlier, this is gonna be a mindset shift for us moving forward. Even in things like the flu, any of those types of illnesses, and it should be because when we talk about productivity, that stuff matters. And we got a bunch of people sick during flu season. It doesn't help anybody. So I think starting to get some of these things, realize that it is a new normal, that it's good to adopt some of these things as we move forward. And and, and it's just one tool in the toolbox. I think you've got to take a really holistic view to make sure that you guys are covering all of these things and don't let the negative stuff impact you or keep you from doing or employing safety measures that really are going to be important in this whole thing, especially as, especially as companies are reopening. All right. Excellent. Well, I like to thank all my panelists here and uh, just for everyone, if you need to get a hold of, of Jake, you're going to go to summitsafetygroup.com, right, Jake? Summitsafetygroup.com. I see his head nodding. He's got his cool head nod going, man. That, that's the cool cat right over there. So you get the cool head nod. So summitsafetygroup.com. And they also have online training, too. And their online training uh, is, is excellent. You just got to go through that. They have it in English and in Spanish as well. So uh, go ahead and uh, look him up. 
Abby is with the Justice Safety Justice League, and uh, I don't know if she's given herself a moniker yet, but uh, but she <laughs> with the Safety Justice League. So um, just go ahead. You can listen to them on Safety FM, and I'd like to thank Safety FM Jay for uh, hanging out with everybody, helping us, working everything out. He's been awesome. So download the Safety FM app if you haven't yet. Do it. And Kevin Yarbrough is with Yarbrough Safety Solutions. So you want to go to Kevin Yarbrough with Yarbrough Safety Solutions, get him on LinkedIn. And uh, you can go to LinkedIn.com backslash in backslash Kevin Yarbrough. And it's Kevin with K-E-V-E-N. So Kevin Yarbrough. All right. So outstanding job, Safety FM. Thank you, everyone. And I really appreciate it. And me again, your host, Sheldon Primus, for the Safety Consultant Podcast. Look me up on safetyconsultantpodcast.com and listen to me on Safety FM. Thank you. What would you think about that roundtable? Please just uh, let me know. I'll be very interested in, in getting your views uh, figuring out what you really thought about this. Uh, I mentioned in part one, I had uh, some of my information, I should say, was coming from a World Safety Day event that I did internationally. And if you want to get a hold of that presentation, uh, go to sheldonprimus.com backslash coronavirus. This episode, you know, thinking about what Jake was saying about, you know, all the chemicals that are being mixed together as people trying to get everything all cleaned, but then they're causing new chemicals. So now your HASCOM program is going to be challenged. Some of the things Kevin had mentioned about uh, where OSHA's intentions will be and what kind of activities they're going to be looking at. Get you, you construction people that. We're truly happy to hear Kevin say that construction is not going to be the, the focal point of OSHA right now, but they're really responding to a lot of the whistleblower complaints that have gone way, way up. And then also some other cases that are taking their attention right now during this uh, COVID-19 era. And so just really uh, appreciate not only having uh, Safety FM sponsor uh, this event and host it live. So, uh, oh, by the way, next week on Monday, I am going to be interviewing Jay Allen with Safety FM. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about not just his, you know, he's Dr. Jay Allen. He doesn't like being known as that, but, you know, he's got a very prestigious life. And uh, I actually talked to him outside of uh, the safety realm and talk to him a little bit about this podcasting thing and radio and his feelings about this and even we talk about uh, how he has uh, grown and started Safety FM into what it is now and if you haven't got the app yet go to your app store and get download the Safety FM app okay great stuff you can hear all our station podcasting we talk a lot about that uh, towards the end of the conversation so uh, go ahead and download that and then also uh, if you haven't yet wherever you're listening to me go ahead and subscribe to this show and uh, just subscribe to it uh, share it with someone that you feel like this could really help and uh, that'd be great you can also go to safetyconsultantpodcast.com safetyconsultantpodcast.com 
and on that you will be able to have or I should say see the show page so it's got all the shows listed on there and you can just pick and choose what show you want to listen to uh, as it pertains to where you are right now in your uh, career as a safety consultant or a safety officer so that's the safety consultant podcast.com and we're on patreon so if you are interested in supporting the show go to patreon.com backslash safety consultant and uh, see what level interests you and that would be great and i would greatly appreciate your support for the show Well, that is it for the week. No tip of the week this week, but we'll come back with one next week after we listen to our interview with Dr. Jay Allen of Safety FM. So enjoy the rest of your week since this is a Wednesday. You still got a few more days in there. So enjoy the rest of your week and I will see you next week on Monday. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.